knew it with him at the end. Only John. The Romans turned his death into an atrocious spectacle. They flayed him until his back split open. It was as if they wanted to cut him down one piece at a time until he could barely move. They forced him to his feet, drove thorns into his head. They made him... them up for all to see. It doesn't matter that you weren't there. He understood our weakness. He loved us for it. Died for it. None of this matters now. You heard the zealot. We need to leave before they find us. Before it's our turn to look down from Golgotha. You need to rest. Yeah. It's been a stressful period. You've done exceptionally well to steer the community to calmer waters. With your support, as ever. We've used pilot the great effect to protect us.
Roman seal has been broken. The tomb is now open and the Nazarene is gone. What do you mean, gone? Those are scenes from tonight's episode. It's going to be fantastic. Have you ever had your world rocked? I'm looking into faces of those I know have experienced that. Your world rocked. I'm not talking about having a bad day. I'm talking about everything you have trusted ripped away from you. All that you cherished somehow lost. You didn't see it coming. The unexpected somehow leaves you gutted and destroyed. We're letting you go, they said. I, I don't think I love you anymore. We regret to inform you, you read. The doctor said, I'm sorry, it's progressing. Have you ever had your world rocked? Well, if you have, then you know perhaps what the disciples were experiencing in those scenes. Uh, trying to make sense of something that they maybe should have seen coming and, and, and should have realized was part of the possibilities that lay ahead, but, but, but this was off the chart. This is not where they saw the story going. This is not any kind of continuity with, with what they had expected. Jesus had come back into Jerusalem to be king, and now he has been crucified as a criminal. Caiaphas nervously reads through the scrolls again. Was he seeing scripture fulfilled? The disciples are trying to make sense of how it could be that, that they had trusted this Nazarene to be the Messiah. How it could be that they had failed him so and he seems to have failed them so. If you've ever experienced what it is to have your world rock, rock, then you have some idea of what all those in those scenes were experiencing. Perhaps they were empty. Certainly they, they, they were shocked. Some were numb. Some were afraid. Some were grief-stricken. Some were paralyzed by the circumstances they were in. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that everyone wants to see a miracle. But no one wants the circumstances that necessitate them. In fact, we spend much of our lives trying to manage life in such a way that we don't get into one of those circumstances where only a miracle will do. But we can't dance around life perfectly. It has a way of presenting those situations where only God and only a miracle will do. Shock, fear, grief, confusion. 
What were they experiencing? I think Peter, we could say, was experiencing an inescapable shame. Can you imagine how he felt as, as John in that scene says, Oh, it doesn't matter that you weren't there. Well, that's okay if you're comforting one of the other disciples, but not Peter. Peter was the one that said the night that he was arrested, All the others may betray you. Not me. Not me. I will die with you if necessary. You can count on me, Jesus. Now, how many of us at times in our lives haven't somewhere, somehow made the same kind of heartfelt commitment only then to stumble badly? To let our Lord down. And what can you do about it? You know, the, the past is in the past. That's one thing about the past for all of us. The past cannot be changed. We can't go back there and redo it. How much Peter wished he probably could. He, he felt such guilt. I think he felt more than just guilt, having done something wrong. I think he felt shame that somehow he was wrong. Not just that he had made a mistake, but that somehow he was a mistake. He lost complete confidence in God's calling and purpose in his life. Instead of fishing for men, we'll discover he goes back to fishing for fish. Something he could handle. Something that didn't require God. Guilt and shame. We, we can't change our yesterdays. I wonder what Pilate was feeling. What is truth? He had asked Jesus. I think it had to have some cynicism and sarcasm in it, don't you? What is truth? Pilate wasn't a philosopher. He didn't have time for such questions. Riots broke out. Rulers were cast down. That took time for philosophical thoughts. What is truth? For, for Pilate, what, what was true and what was relevant was what was practical. And, and in terms of keeping his own head in a place called Judea that was troubled with riots and insurrections and would often crucify those that were, that were, cru- that were accused of such insurrections in order to pacify that volatile country and those who could not pacify it Caesar himself would see to his demise and and here was Pilate caught in the midst of that kind of pressure that kind of struggle what is truth Pilate was certainly one of those that that cared more about managing things you know perhaps he was one that came up in the hard knocks of life that learned that the only thing that you can really trust is yourself and so so he was going to manage this he was going to control this he he, tr- he tried to work it out where he could dismiss one of the notorious murderers of their day barabbas instead of jesus but that didn't work again and again his cleverness failed him as he tried to wash his hands morally as well as figuratively in front of the crowd of the blood of this man whom he suspected was innocent. Pilate. 
Pilate said, post a guard outside the tomb. He was pacifying Caiaphas, the head priest, the one that we saw in the video. Caiaphas' concerns that Jesus had said that he would rise again after three days. And if a guard wasn't posted to make absolutely sure of his demise, well, someone could fake it. They could steal the body. And then the final deception would have been worse than the first in Caiaphas' mind. Pilate, in a godless world, manages things as best he can, tries to control things as best he can, in doubtful defiance. He white-knuckles his way through this. But now, when the tomb couldn't have been violated for the guard, he's gone. Gone. I wonder if Pilate got philosophical then. As he recounted his question, what is truth? And Jesus' answer rings in his ears. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would have defended me in this world. But such as it is, they do not. For I and my kingdom are of another world. Where is he gone? Could what he say actually be true? Is there evidence of that? Practical pilot is confused. What he's to trust has been completely shaken. The earth quakes outside, but he hardly notices for the quaking that's going on inside Mary. Mary comes while it's still dark, and no doubt the darkness was real for her. They say in some of the Gospels that she came there that morning to anoint him, to somehow finish and complete the the hurried burial that he had when they took him down from the cross on the day of the Passover, having that task to do before it was evening and it was dusk. Jesus died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They had till 5 or 6 perhaps that evening to finish their task. And it took longer than that. It had to be a hasty burial. Joseph of Arimathea had come and asked for the body after he had died. All this had to be arranged. Certainly it was quick and it was hasty. And Matthew says that she just came to look at the grave. Maybe so. Have you ever been so rocked that you just, you just wanted to busy yourself with the next thing? To keep from having to deal with that overwhelming reality that's breaking in upon you. Ever been there? But perhaps Mary with the other Marys that morning had gotten up and they were just doing what they always did. They had always served Jesus and the disciples. They had been like the team moms <laughs> for the last three years. Luke tells us that Mary and the other ladies would often travel with them uh, taking care of the disciples' needs from their own pockets. They were wealthy women. And they took care of the disciples. I wonder if Mary had something to do with Jesus' early morning routine. 
I wondered if she had gotten up as she always did. He was nowhere to be served. I wonder if in the numbness of that moment, she just started for, for the tomb. The other ladies joined her. The one that had changed everything for her was no more. The one who was her joy as she served was now absent. And all that was left for her is the empty service to a dead imposter. But still, out of her devotion, she got up that morning and went to to serve. Do you know what it's like to have your world rocked? They'd killed him. Now they've robbed his tomb. Will there be no respect for her king? Will there be no relief from this now endless and joyless routine of service? She may still do some things in a dead kind of memorial service for him, but no longer with him. What a grief. What a time of mourning, of confusion, of devastation, of overwhelming regret. But God can make a new beginning of what appears to us to be only a dead end. God can make a new beginning out of what appears to us only to be a dead end. The series that we'll watch this evening bases much of its depiction on Matthew chapter 28. It's the story of Easter morning. Now after the Sabbath, being a Saturday, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I've told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb and with Fear and great joy, they ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they shall see me. For while they were on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city 
and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, hush money, and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. An interesting alibi, since falling asleep on duty for any Roman centurion meant death. But still, you need a story. And if this should come to the governor's ears, which would have had their heads, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mount which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, even until the end of the age. And that's the story. The end of the gospel, the story, the biography of Jesus. And then Acts, the book of Acts, starts the sequel. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive. Alive. After his suffering, by many convincing proofs, irrefutable evidences, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Their world was rocked, but friends, Easter happened. Easter intervened. And for Pilate, that meant that there was evidence to consider. And for Peter, that meant that there was a pardon to receive. And for Mary, that meant that there was a presence that would never let her go. Easter intervened. The tomb was empty. Yet Pilate had made it that much more secure. He wanted that craziness over with. He was more than happy to supply a guard to Caiaphas who wanted the tomb not only guarded, but it says that it was sealed. Sealed with a Roman seal. Sealed with a seal that if broken meant death. Sealed with the seal that any centurion would defend with their very life. And this was a whole company of them sent out there to guard it. It was made as secure as they could in the day. The, the black Tahoes had pulled up. And the guys with the little 
wires coming out of their ears had stepped out and they were fully vested and fully loaded and it was taken care of. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what happened. This is what Pilate ordered. And that's why his very orders made the testimony that, the, that he was gone that much more irrefutable. It was a truth that Pilate himself would have to consider, would have to deal with. And many people think that the Christian faith is a faith in hope so. It's a faith denying what you see. It's true that we walk by faith and not by sight. But God has also made our faith something based on something that really happened. Not on just something we hope is real. You understand? There's evidence. A tomb is empty. No one can present a body. Right? If the enemies of Jesus had had access to the body, all they had to do was parade it through the streets as could have been common in that day, and Christianity would have been killed in the cradle. And if you're going to start a religion, why not start something that's a little more reasonable? Why not start talking about love and good philosophies and a therapeutic kind of gospel that would help anyone help themselves? I mean, that, wouldn't that be where we'd start? If you wanted to go and convince one of your friends, not these people. They started with something that was so incredible, were it not true, they would have been fools. Every sermon of Acts starts with this irrefutable evidence to rulers and governors of the day. Paul will say later, this did not happen in some corner somewhere. You know of these things. That one was raised from the dead, and this now is what it means. But Christianity is not based on something that appeals to someone else for the sake of how it can bless them. How it can be in their best interest. That's often how we present it. Because it is just such a deal. But whether or not it's pleasing. Whether or not it's appealing. It's true. And this world has forgotten that. That these are facts that can be denied, but they cannot be avoided. The tomb is empty, just as he said. And just as he said, on the third day, he is risen. There's evidence to consider. And if you perhaps have considered the Christian faith something that's all about relationships and therapeutic uh, philosophy and, and encouraging one another to kind of get through life because we can't get by it on our own strength, I challenge you to explore the faith for the evidence that it is and follow those facts wherever they lead you. And if you want to get to the head of the chase, start with the resurrection. That's where the church did. That's where those 3,000 just weeks later would start with the truth of the resurrection. They couldn't deny that it had happened. And that's why when Peter explained to them what it meant, 3,000 that day. 
turned in faith to Jesus, were baptized in the same streets through which Jesus had drug his cross to be crucified only five weeks earlier. Because Easter has intervened, there's evidence to be considered. Because Easter has intervened, there is a pardon to receive. It's true for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves God's love for us. Proves it because Christ died for us before we ever had a chance to earn it. Do you understand? There is one who can deal with your past because he's dealt with it in the past. He is the Lord of the past and the present and the future. And because even before you came to live, he had already poured out his love for you, already atoned for your sin. Your past is something that he can deal with, though it's something that we cannot change. That's good news for Peter. Good news. He doesn't have to prove his love to Jesus. He's already loved. He's already reconciled. And that reconciliation is offered to him. Peter, do you love me? Then begin again. Get back in the game. Come away from your fishing of fish. And get back to the purposes for which you were created. And are being created in me. To fulfill that plan that God has had from you. For by grace you have been saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That you may walk out those plans that He ordained beforehand that you should walk in them. There's evidence to consider, there's a pardon to receive. There's a presence to seek, to recognize. Think about it. She came in that empty service. Doesn't it get that way for all of us sometimes? We're all merry. Just going through the motions of Christian discipline. Just going through what we do at church again and again. Cut one more biscuit. Put out one more registration. Straighten one more chair. Fix some more lilies. All right. One more family to be fed. One more Bible study to be given. One more home team to prepare for. Ever been where Mary was? And yet Jesus is risen. That's a statement about right now. He lives. Which means in any moment that we are serving for Him. It can be a transformed moment where we serve with Him. He sees it all. He joins us in us all. And by His Spirit, we become collaborators with Christ in all that we do and in every way that we live. We are not alone. Lo, He is with us even until the end of the age. Where did you put His body? For God's sakes, tell me where you've laid Him. Where did you take my Master away? Mary. Yes, dear, stop clinging to me. For I must ascend to my Father and your Father. I've atoned for the sin. You're adopted. 
you're reconciled. You're part of the family. And I'm here now to make absolutely clear, I will be here for you always. Always. Lo, I am with you, even until the end of the age. It's a pardon to receive, an evidence to consider, a presence to seek. But folks, we are Easter people as they are Easter people. What does that mean? To be an Easter person? It means that we can live like Jesus died yesterday. We can live like Jesus lives today. And we can live like Jesus is coming tomorrow. Like Jesus died yesterday. For all all my yesterdays, he can release me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. My sin is already atoned. My reconciliation with a holy God has already been offered and secured. God's love for me is not something I must earn, not something I must redeem or somehow bring credit to again because of the way I failed. God loves me already. And if I'm loved like that, I don't have to be like I've been anymore. I can leave the fish behind. And I can join God in what only God can do. Fish for souls. I can live like Jesus lives today. His presence will never forsake me. His purposes will always involve me. His power will still intervene for me. His partnership, I can always seek. I can always look forward to. It doesn't matter how dark things get, how difficult things get. He has conquered death and the grave. He can be a part of any circumstance. In fact, if he is with me at all circumstances, then no matter how dark it gets, I can find my God in that circumstance somehow partnering with me to redeem it. Not justifying it. Not making what happened right. But empowering his kind of response, empowering his kind of turning of that tragedy, empowering his partnership, no matter where I am today. And that's true. If all that's true, then I can live like Jesus is coming tomorrow. That love will prevail. That my trust in him, no matter where it takes me, will be vindicated. That my toil in the Lord is not in vain. My hope need never die. For my Lord, my God, not only lives, but he reigns and he awaits me. No matter how dark nor how difficult, my Lord has turned death, even death, into a door. First John 3, 2 and 3 says, For now we are children of God. Now. And it does not yet appear what we shall be like. But in that day that we see Him, we shall be like Him. And all who have their hope fixed on that end, on that tomorrow, purify themselves even now. Even now, Easter back then is a promise of what's to come. And because of what's to come, I can live this day 
for that day. I can live this day completely unrewarded for all that I do for the Lord, knowing that someday the Lord will vindicate, the Lord will recognize, the Lord will reward. Not because we're owed anything, but because it's His delight to honor those who honor Him. That day's coming, my friends. It's coming because of Easter. And we can believe it because we, like they, are Easter people. If we believe that. The future is always better than the past. I love, I've told it many times, the, the matriarch that had just passed away and many at the funeral didn't know her quite as well as the family did. They weren't there for all those family meals. They didn't understand why anyone laying before them in a casket as they came forward for their last respects at the funeral service, why anyone would be holding a fork so serenely in the coffin. Only those in the family knew her routine as the matriarch of the family. At all those family dinners, Easter dinners, Christmas dinners, Thanksgiving dinners, she had a little routine. As the plates were being taken up and everyone was almost full because they knew what was coming next. Almost full. She would take up the plates and she'd say, no, no. Keep your fork. The best is yet to come. And so the family... And testimony to her faith. Let her hold a fork. Keep your fork. The best is yet to come. Easter people. We can live like Jesus died yesterday. Live as Jesus lives today. And live as if he returns tomorrow. Easter people. It's what they are. It's what we're becoming. May it continue this Easter as never before. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to celebrate your risen presence here in our midst. Help us to live always, Father, like like you died yesterday, like you're alive right now, like you could come tomorrow. Help us live as Easter people wherever we go today, however our world may have been rocked. Remind us, Lord God, that you are with us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we give you praise. This is Easter. Amen. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. In 20 minutes, we'll start our uh, egg hunts. So let the kids know if you grab those guys and get them together. Uh, Scott told me as he left, he was considering not doing the Easter egg hunt outside in the wet grass, but in the library and in the youth room. I'm waiting to see what that might actually become. But, but we will have an Easter egg hunt. Don't let the kids be disappointed. We'll find a way to make sure their candy is discoverable. So Scott will soon be giving us instruction there. Uh, between now and 10 o'clock, uh, the cafe will be open if you want to go ahead and get breakfast now and enjoy the Easter egg hunts. God bless you this Easter. Have a great day.